0: Welcome to Psycho the podcast where we analyze depictions of disability and mental illness in popular film and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fanasia. Please note that this episode contains depictions of suicidal ideation and self-harm, birth trauma, and makes mention of domestic violence. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 131114 and Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we record this podcast on today. I am on the Warringeri uh, land of the Kulin Nation and recognize elders past, present, and emerging. We recognize that this is stolen land and sovereignty was never ceded, and it is, always was, and always will be Aboriginal land. Clary, what land are you on today? What country? I'm on
1: Diablo and Jarrowe, uh land here in Toowoomba, and I've probably butchered
0: that, so I will apologize uh, <laughs> for my
1: terrible mispronunciation,
0: but yeah. Oh, well done. Well, welcome to the podcast, Clary. It's Thank so you. great to have you on. Such uh, an honor. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we, I guess, met each other through Instagram. Uh, through the gram, which is just an amazing uh, format in order to, to meet people with shared interests and uh, passions. So yeah, it's great to have you on, uh, particularly given you have some media coming up of your own. But should we start with introducing yourself and what you're all about? And
1: yeah. Well, I'm Clary. I'm a soul mother, which is something that I'm very, very proud of. Um, I have a beautiful little boy named Ez. And I initially didn't have any kind of non personal social media profile at all. And then I used to make TikToks about um, COVID influences. Uh, and got myself into quite a bit of trouble from doing that. (laughs) For those who know, you know, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. Um, And since then, I've kind of transitioned my platform to, I guess, just being in a very, very small capacity, um, a part of social media activism, and speaking up for things that I'm passionate about, um, particularly in the lead up to the election. That was a really big one. Um, And then the other big one for me that I am constantly advocating for is, of course, perinatal mental health. So really close and something that's yeah very very close to me and very very important in my life which I'm sure we'll get into um and so something that I do try and advocate
0: for on social media and whenever I can yeah awesome I and I think uh, it was actually Clementine Ford who posted one of your um COVID uh influencer <laughs> yes. sort of takedowns um yeah so that's how I kind of stumbled onto to your page and um yeah it, the more things that you sort of shared it was more like oh got to get her on the podcast. <laughs> um <laughs> thank you. Yeah, so I'm really honored that you're here. So, you've got an episode of You Can't Ask That airing yes. very soon. Can you tell us a bit yes. more about that?
1: Now, at the time of recording, uh tomorrow night it'll be streaming on ABC iView but it will actually be on ABC, as in the actual TV channel, which is slightly terrifying, uh, <laughs> 9 p.m. 1st of June on Wednesday. So I think that's next Wednesday. Next
0: Wednesday, Wednesday yeah. After. yeah. Potentially,
1: I'm not too sure. I need to check that. But, yes, so it will be on ABC, absolutely. So
0: if I've got my shit together, hopefully you're listening to this a couple of days beforehand, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> No pressure. <laughs> Either way, it's available on ABC iView, so yes, you can always watch it, it if you be, haven't yeah. already. Yeah. So, and you, you're talking about postpartum mental illness. On you can't ask that. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So the actual episode is entitled Postnatal Depression, and when I was speaking with the, I guess casting team, I don't know if you'd call it casting or anything. You know what I mean? Like the. The team who were doing the interviews, essentially, um, I had this, I guess, really passionate and empowering conversation uh, with this lovely woman from the ABC and said, you know, it's not just postnatal depression. I know we think it's just baby blues after a baby's born, but it's so much more than that so on my episode my interview that I've done I really brought that out to speak about perinatal mental health so during pregnancy um, even through the conception process uh, and then up to 12 months after birth and not just depression but everything that is encompassed by perinatal mental health which is things like depression anxiety psychosis and a lot of other mental health disorders that can be triggered mm-hmm. during um, that experience
0: yeah So for those who haven't listened to our previous episode on Tully, perinatal anxiety and or depression affects up to one in five new mums and up to one in 10 new dads. The severity of postnatal anxiety and depression depends on the intensity, frequency and type of symptoms and how much they interfere with your ability to function in daily life. Postpartum psychosis essentially means a loss of reality. It usually comes on in a very quick and extreme manner within the first few weeks after giving birth, but the onset can be within hours of delivery. It can be extremely scary, especially if you've never had it before. Women who have postpartum psychosis may have a range of the following symptoms. Confusion and disorientation about the day and time and who people are. Concentration can be affected and your mind might feel foggy. Severe physical anxiety or agitation. Variable mood, either on a high, irritable or depressed. Insomnia and feeling like you need less sleep or perhaps going days without sleeping. Delusions or thoughts that are not true and that are often paranoid. These thoughts might seem bizarre or silly when you are well, but in the middle of the illness they can seem very real. Hallucinations or impaired sensations where you either hear, see or smell things that are not present. Strange sensations that you are not really yourself and there are others controlling your actions and thoughts. And thoughts of... Or plans to harm yourself and your baby. And how did how did you end up getting on the show? It was a really
1: weird kind of experience because I've been in the community for um, perinatal mental health issues. I'm in a lot of these Facebook groups run by groups like uh, Gidget Foundation, which are an amazing charity who provide entirely bulk build uh, psychology to those struggling with perinatal mental health during pregnancy and the first 12 months afterwards and a few other different groups and the you can't ask that team reached out in these groups and said hey we're filming an episode on postnatal depression and at the time I had just been discharged from the lavender unit which is the mother baby psychiatric ward on the gold coast the only one in Queensland and I commented and I was like hey I've just been discharged from this psych ward uh, and I've had postpartum psychosis and perinatal depression and anxiety and severe paranoia and all these crazy things I'd absolutely love to chat to you and they were like yes please email us some of your details send us a photo uh, here's a few questions we need you to answer and so then I did that and I heard nothing for months and then I got a call randomly um, from the team and they were like hey we want to ask you a few more questions and they kind of asked things that were in line with what then was filmed in the show and then there was like another round of questioning and then didn't hear anything for months and months. And then like, gosh, nearly, nearly a year later, it was like, Hey, uh, next month, can we record with you? And we'd like you to be on the show. And I was like, yes, cool. Like such a amazing opportunity to share my story and hopefully de-stigmatize what we'll be talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then got to go and film, which was, I guess, something I'd never done before but was very uh,
0: interesting and exciting yeah that's amazing um it sounds like in that sort of industry it does take months and months in between like a conception of an idea and then getting people involved and then actually filming it and then that is even if it makes it in the show so that's awesome that it's all happened that's so good yeah it's, yeah <laughs> so can I ask you a little bit about your experience with postpartum postnatal depression and postpartum mental illness? Did you know anything about it before you had, Ezzie? Anything about postpartum mental illness at all?
1: My entirety of motherhood came from television shows and movies. (laughs) So I was not a prepared mother in any way, shape or form. Was not, you know, I'm quite open about the fact that my son was very much an unplanned miracle and I did not go into it at all prepared. So my whole, I guess, understanding of perinatal mental health was this idea of the baby blues mm, and yeah. after you have a baby you're gonna feel a little bit down and that's it and that was yeah. the only thing i knew the only understanding i had going into pregnancy and that made me very much unprepared which was not a good thing <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and i think uh, if you if anyone knows anything about this podcast <laughs> we're always looking at depictions of mental illness disability etc it's the depictions of baby blues are not particularly accurate or what we actually experience in real life. Um, and when we were talking about things to focus on the only, like one of the things I'd already done was Tully. And that's probably the only depiction of like postpartum psychosis specifically. Um, and that's kind of it. So yeah, yeah it's hard to be prepared. Media. Yeah. What was pregnancy like for you? Uh-
1: Yeah, not great. (laughs) I had a very, a very rough pregnancy. So I left an abusive relationship by the time I was 14 weeks pregnant. I was basically homeless very early during my pregnancy. Ended up going back home and living with my mother. And my mother and I had a very dysfunctional on-again, off-again relationship, which Mm -hmm. we've kind of since worked through. But it still has its bumps, as, you know, all mother-daughter relationships have. And so it was just an absolute mess. I'd moved two and a half hours away from all my friends to go live in a rural town. If anyone knows what rural healthcare is like, it's not great. And it was during the middle of the pandemic. So I was 14 weeks pregnant in March 2020. So as I was leaving this terrible relationship and couch surfing and then going back home to my mother, I was also dealing with the fact that I was losing my job because of COVID and also dealing with COVID in general so it was a really Mm -hmm. rough pregnancy all of that then kind of combined together and I do have a background of mental health illness and so pregnancy COVID domestic violence all kind of triggered that and so my pregnancy was really bad and just got worse and worse and worse uh, in terms of my mental health till the point where I was almost hospitalized at 30 weeks pregnant because I was that unwell. Wow.
0: And did you kind of know what was going on? Like these these were potentially some mental illness symptoms that you're experiencing?
1: I knew it was mental illness because I'd been mentally unwell before. I had basically had severe depression since the age of 13, 14, which is only something that I'm coming out of now. And I'd been through a lot of trauma in my life. At the time, I didn't have a diagnosis of CPTSD. Now I do know that what it was with CPTSD, mm-hmm. but during pregnancy, it was like, you've left this really shitty relationship, it's a international pandemic, you're probably feeling kind of shit and that's just it. The thing I know now is after getting treatment and being really involved in these online communities is that that was perinatal mental health issues, is that I was experiencing perinatal depression during my pregnancy, which happens a lot.
0: And did anyone sort of tell you like, oh, you've, you've got some of these mental um, mental health sort of pre predispositions to perinatal mental health did anyone kind of warn you that hey there might be some risk factors here at like in any of your prenatal Queensland, appointments or anything
1: yeah yeah at least up here in Queensland we've got like our little red book which is your pregnancy book and then it becomes your baby book and mm-hmm. there's like a screening thing for postpartum depression mm-hmm. yeah so, I went through and, that too you know, I went through that and it was like you are a very this is like you're like ticking all the boxes here girlfriend like this is not good we're gonna keep an eye on you but mm. it wasn't a conversation of well actually we need to be keeping an eye on you now because you're still at risk right now it was like just try and get through your pregnancy and then then we'll have a chat once
0: baby's here <sighs> that's so frustrating because once baby's here it's all about the baby it's not about mum. and yeah. Like- just that, that was my experience anyway. Like it's kind of like, oh, well, you're good now. Off you go, go home. When there could have been so much in preparation for that time, that, that sort of early intervention, which as a psychologist I'm all about, um, but clearly the system isn't really set up very well for that.
1: I did get linked in with the acute care team, the acute mental health team, and I had a caseworker associated with me. But there was no, let's get you into counselling now. Let's get you into psychology now. Let's, you know, there was nothing. It was all like we down the track. Once the baby's here, then we'll, then we'll get it dealt with. And there was even a point where they were like, once, once your son's born, we'll get you into the mother baby psychiatric ward once he's here. But there was nothing from, you know, kind of 28 weeks pregnant to where my son was born there was there was no support there so it was just
0: difficult <laughs> what, what were your symptoms like um that sort of prenatal symptoms at the time
1: so for me and of course it does vary from person to person so I don't want anybody using my kind of yeah. experience as a you know guidebook for me i became increasingly suicidal i kept having repetitive thoughts about cutting my baby out of my stomach uh, which sounds horrible i know but yeah. it is what it was it must um, have been so horrible just, for
0: you then at the time as well
1: yeah you know it's it's, it's okay now i look back on it with fond memories i guess <laughs> um, yes yeah, so i kept having these increasingly suicidal feelings it got to the point where i was yeah genuinely terrified of myself and then something snapped in me and I had psychosis so I thought that my mother was at first I thought that somebody had broken into the house to take all of my son's clothes he wasn't born yet but they were all you know packed and folded away to take his clothes and steal them basically somebody had come into our house just completely irrational and then I thought that my mother was moving them to make me freak out she wasn't doing that either. And so that was kind of the trigger point for the people around me to go, she's actually losing it. Like she's thinking things are happening when they're not happening. I was getting increasingly paranoid about my son's father. Some of those concerns are justified, but probably not to the extent that I had them. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, severe, severe anxiety, constant panic attacks. It was just for the last trimester of my pregnancy, it was just one long panic attack, basically.
0: Well done getting through that because that would have been awful. Just simply awful. So what was what was the birth like if you're comfortable talking about birth? The oh,
1: birth. Yes, the, uh, the the joy of my son's birth. So with this increasing anxiety and paranoia and psychosis, I my son wasn't moving as much. And I kept saying to my midwives and my doctors and my GP, I'm going, baby's not moving as much. Something's wrong. And because I was... You know paranoid and having psychotic episodes they all kind of went oh, I think you're okay calm down you're all good then I started having um, blood and discharge I went no something's not wrong I'm going to hospital so we ended up driving for an hour from rural Queensland into Toowoomba hospital and the the, the midwives and the obstetricians looked at my file and went she's crazy <laughs>
0: Oh, like I God. could,
1: like literally, like, I could hear the the nurses and the obstetricians talking about my file from outside the curtain, uh, in the kind of triage room of maternity. Going, look at look at her mental health history. Like she's crazy. <laughs> and I kept saying something's wrong, something's wrong, something's not right. I'd had a scare that I was going into preterm labour at thirty at twenty nine weeks, and I was now at thirty. Thirty-five and six, I believe, and so they went. Oh, and I kept saying, "No, something's wrong. You, you need to, like, some something." going on here you need to believe me this isn't just me being crazy he's not moving it's it's not good and so I eventually convinced them that I was had enough clarity of mind to actually genuinely be concerned and I did scream at them on several occasions saying that I would personally threaten uh, just to sue them all individually because they just were not listening to me and I was you know a bit off it and eventually they kept me in hospital and I was in for four days and then we came to this conclusion that I was going to have an elective cesarean in about a week's time so it would have been 37 weeks pregnant and we'd done that because of my decision to basically not go through with a vaginal birth I wasn't comfortable with it I knew that it was going to trigger um, PTSD Mm -hmm. and so they finally agreed to that and they said okay we're going to send you home and this one doctor this one doctor went you know what I'm gonna let's just it, it's my shift. The head obstetrician wants to send you home, but she's off for the day. I'm going to keep you in for 12 more hours. He went down to go and do a delivery and they were doing the Doppler, which they have to do every hour when you're in the maternity. Mm-hmm. And as they did the next Doppler, my son's heart rate went. So he stopped breathing um, oh in my God. stomach and they went, okay, I'm going to press the big red button. Now there's a whole bunch of nurses that are going to run in and you're having a baby now. And that right. happened at 6.32 and my son was born at 6.46. Holy so shit. that was how quickly it was done because it was like, we have to get this baby out now. Emergency. Not yeah. having a baby. Yeah. Ended oh, up having hugely traumatic. Yeah, and then he ended up in the NICU because of obviously all about happening. So then we spent three weeks um, at Toomba Hospital, or well, nearly four weeks um, dealing with that as well. So it was just, it was not a good combination.
0: No, um, especially like sort of knowing something's not right and then not really quite preparing for the moment of birth and then suddenly, oh, God, the baby's here. Yeah, we're doing it now. Not, yeah, not great. no preparation or anything. Yeah. Um, so what was, what was that like being in NICU with Ezzy? Were you there as well or did you go home?
1: I was only in for two days because it was COVID. It was like, okay, oh, we need to yeah. get you out of here as quick as possible. But also the um, Toowoomba Hospital, the nurses are uh, amazing but it's severely underfunded and understaffed Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. hospital is about 150 years old and they need a new one and that's in the process of getting built but the tiny little maternity ward was completely overstaffed so they had women birthing in the like the suites where you would go to after birth and be with other mothers like that's how busy it was and I had had been lucky enough to get a private room and they were like we really need this room so that other women can have babies and I was like yep that's fine um Mm. we'll get out of here they booked us a hotel and that was all paid for by Queensland Health but I left and as he was in the um the NICU and he stayed so we had to walk up you know Mm. to see him and feed him and all of that so it wasn't a great experience but you know you you don't really think about it when you're doing it it's only later that you look back on it and go god that was shit
0: yeah (laughs) for sure yeah In the sort of in the months after then, did those mental health issues continue? uh, Did they sort of build up or did you have some sort of moments of relief? Yeah. So
1: because of how he ended up being born, initially they wanted to transfer me straight into the psychiatric ward once Mm -hmm. I was fine to be discharged. But then it was like, okay, well, you're going to go down to the Gold Coast, which is three and a half hours away and your son's going to be here in the NICU. And I'm like, I'm what are you talking about? that's that not happening makes no so sense. Then, yeah yeah basically it was like fighting mm. with these doctors and eventually they gave in and were like look fine but we're gonna have somebody checking up on you and so that's kind of what happened I'd get calls from the acute care team and at the time I was like I'm fine I'm fine I just need to be with my son I just need to deal with this and get over this this hurdle because he had all these complications
0: mm-hmm.
1: and deal with that and i think for the first six weeks of his life i was just running on pure adrenaline i didn't have time Mm -hmm. to think about myself i didn't even have time to eat sleep or shower so just constantly go 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 and then once we got home when he was about six weeks old that's when it kind of started to get bad yeah and all of these issues started coming back and coming back worse
0: so you were kind of almost in that fight or flight mode in that six weeks of just like getting through, this is what I need to do today and just kind of go, go, go. And then the moment where you actually get to be with your baby, that's when you've got that to- that space for those things to come Time, back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're alone with this baby and it's like, I don't no, know we're if we're I like you, I'm regretting <laughs>
1: this. <laughs> you know, those type of feelings as well, which are very common when you're struggling with perinatal mental health. So then you're alone with your baby and that kind of makes it worse because you're like I don't think I can do this and I don't think I really want to do this and I think this was a bad decision and then you feel really bad you start hating yourself for it and it just spirals
0: from there. Yeah, for sure. Did you have much support around you at the time, like family, friends?
1: My brother was over in Canada with my sister-in-law and he's my only sibling and I was living with my mother, but that was it. All my friends were hours away in Brisbane. And it was COVID as well. And it was COVID, Yeah. yeah. And it was getting really bad again when he was born, like all the restrictions came into the hospital. So it was just like the worst time. So there wasn't much support because you just couldn't get support during COVID.
0: So you, you were eventually admitted to the psych ward, you said? Yeah. Yeah. yeah." Uh, he so was then. 10
1: weeks old when that happened. Mm. So I had a full-blown psychiatric episode where I was just besides myself. And I remember I picked my son up and I walked into my mum and I said, you need to take this baby because I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill him if you leave me alone with him. And she went, Okay i take the baby and I'm going to call triple zero.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: they were like, okay, yeah, we're going to, we could see her file. She's got an acute care team. We're going to call them. We're going to get them out. We're going to go through it. And from me walking in, having that conversation with my mother, because I had been driving home from Toowoomba at the time and my son was in the back and I managed to get home and pull on the door and go, Please take my baby. This is not going to end well. Um, From that point, which was on Monday afternoon, I had an assessment with the psychiatric team at the mother-baby unit in Lavender House on the Tuesday at about midday. And I was in the Gold Coast being admitted Wednesday lunchtime. So it was done very quickly because I was such high risk.
0: So they they recognised that they needed to act pretty fast. Yeah. How long did you spend in there? About a month. month-ish. It was like three and a half weeks to a month.
1: And it was, yeah, very, it's
0: a very interesting
1: um, thing to go through if you've never been in a psychiatric ward before, that's for sure.
0: What were the days like there? What what sort of things did they do? Because it's a mother-baby unit. It's only you
1: and three other mothers. You have a private room, which is great. And you've got a beautiful courtyard and there's a kitchen and a living room and they after you've been assessed as not a flight risk they'll take you out and you have to be escorted and you get to see a psychiatrist every morning and afternoon and a psychologist one to two times a day and they've got ot's and social workers and they have like a gym that they would take you to so it's quite luxe in a way Mm. it's kind of almost like a like a retreat almost except you're getting treated for the fact that you're doing a lot of work having
0: yeah a Mm. lot of issues yeah And did they prescribe you any medication or anything like that? Yeah,
1: so within about three days of getting there, we had to have the conversation about the fact that I had to stop breastfeeding, which I was pretty happy with because I hated it. And at that point, I was pumping full time because I couldn't deal with the the baby on the boob. Uh, So I was pumping, but I still did not enjoy it because as, you know, woman to woman... Breastfeeding and pumping was not it. a nice experience. I hated it's it so horrible. much. <laughs> oh, I, I wish that I'd given up or I, I wish that I had gone on to formula straight away. Mm. But yeah, it was just, it was horrible. And because I was breastfeeding, they're like, okay, we need to have this conversation because you need some pretty intense antipsychotic medication and you can't breastfeed on that. And I was like, yes. Perfect, perfect excuse because I was riddled with the breast is best guilt, and it's not, it's yeah. not at all. Even when and you was, don't
0: truly believe it, you still get the guilt. <laughs> Everything you do, you get guilt for. Yeah, you get the guilt. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I start, was I formula fed from about twelve months, twelve weeks. Sorry yeah it's so it can be so
1: much easier and so much better for your mental health and switching to formula feeding for me was a very big step forward in that journey it was kind of the first big step even Mm. prior to taking the medications because i was sleeping better i wasn't in pain constantly Mm. i hated myself less for going to formula feeding and so i was really glad when they said we need you to stop so we can give you these meds because you can't breastfeed on them i was like yep great and so that was kind of the first thing stop breastfeeding Mm. uh because I had to kind of wean him and mix him instead of him going straight on to formula because it would be a little bit of a shock to him and he wasn't still great at that point. And then start the meds and I was doing the psychiatry twice a day, uh, psychology once a day and doing all the other things as well. And that was kind of the whole treatment plan while I was in there.
0: And what was it like being discharged and going back to life as a single mum?
1: Yeah, I was so just ready to get out there by the yeah. time that I was getting discharged I was like I want to go please let me go home because I was so far away from home I hadn't seen my my other babies my cat and my dog for like a month at this point I was away from what friends I did have in Toowoomba I wasn't sleeping in my own bed for anybody who's been in a hospital like it's a hospital you're living in a hospital for an extended period of time it is not a nice experience Mm -hmm. so once I got that all clear they do a kind of slow changeover where they let you go and stay away from the MBU for one night and then you come back and they assess you again and they let you go for two nights and then you come back and then a responsible adult in my case my mother for most of the other women there it was their partners uh, take you over and are basically kind of responsible for you and the baby for a little while and then they check in about a week later once you've been home and to make sure that you're not unraveling again
0: that sounds like a pretty good gradual process where you're getting that regular check-in rather than off you go good luck we'll see you if you need us again
1: was that so I think helpful? it's very
0: different it, it is helpful it's so helpful I think
1: they do it that way when it's the mother-baby unit because there's babies involved yeah. and they're trying to save lives because perinatal mental health kills and that's the reality of it.
0: Yeah. So they,
1: they're they trying to make sure that, you know, like we're talking, there was babies in there that were two weeks old through to 12 months old. They're trying to make sure these kids are going
0: to be okay. And do they give you – or? link you in with some like external ongoing support or care with a psychologist or?
1: So with your discharge
0: plan, they
1: give you so much. So I got linked in with a perinatal psychologist through Gidget Foundation, and that was completely bulk build and absolutely amazing. And they specialize in perinatal mental health Gidget. I was linked in with three different social workers from three different charities. So I basically was seeing one Every other day, which was amazing to have that kind of formal support there as well. And they give you this whole big plan and you make all these agreements, you know, you're going to go for a walk every day you're going to eat healthy and it's all part of that care plan for when you do leave. And there's just so much support, just so much support.
0: That's so good. Do you think that it would be easy to access that support generally? Or I guess, did you have to be at that point where you needed triple O in order to access that support?
1: For up here in Queensland, we have one public mother baby unit. That's the one that I went to on the Gold Coast and it's four beds only. The mm-hmm. wait list for like non-emergencies is anywhere between six weeks and six months. There's a private 10 bed unit at Bell. Um, Belmont private psychiatric hospital in Brisbane Mm -hmm. and that is it and you're looking at upwards of $40,000 to go there my mother did ring and ask the question Mm -hmm. so it is just it is completely inaccessible for anybody who's not a millionaire in Queensland Mm -hmm. is isn't an emergency to to get that and I was very lucky that they were having somebody being discharged when I needed to go in. That had that mother not been ready, I wouldn't have had anywhere to go. And the next step then is, is that your baby is taken off you and given to the father or given to somebody else's care or put into the child protection system. And you are put into a psychiatric ward, which is a very different experience to a mother-baby mm-hmm. unit. It is absolutely impossible just impossible for women to access these services because there's not enough of them
0: damn right it sounds like the the alternative to being able to access that is not actually going to be helpful for that the well-being of mum and bub um not at all <laughs> just another example of how underfunded under resourced and devalued
1: mental health services are
0: absolutely um, how long did it sort of take you to really um, feel a bit more like yourself again and for some of that depression, anxiety to alleviate a little bit?
1: Probably not until my son was about eight, nine months old. That was when I started getting discharged from the support services that I had to so the acute care team and the um, social workers. And then about a month and a half after that, I had a big step backwards and just wasn't coping again and got linked back in again. It's a bit easy once you're in the system to get those services again, as opposed to when you're fresh to it. And then it was about when my son was a year old that I completely was like, okay, I'm fine. I went out and got my own apartment. I didn't feel like I had to live with my mum anymore. I, I felt like I could do okay on my own. And it was only then that at that 12-month mark, I started feeling like myself again.
0: So what a journey. And I guess that's the case with mental illness in general is it takes steps and you kind of go backwards and forwards and and sometimes you don't even realise that, hey, I'm actually in a good position until, yeah, you sort of look back a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess on that note too, like depression, anxiety, mental illness, it's never something that just ends and it's always something you have to kind of work on. So what helps you, what what sort of gets you through and, and helps you feel like in, in control, I guess?
1: For me, I realised that antidepressants was like wearing glasses and I wear glasses all the time. I'm being really bad not wearing them now. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I normally am in glasses all the time and you wear glasses because they're a corrective lens. They help you see things um, and you can see without them, but they make it that much easier. Mm-hmm. And I realised that antidepressants for that was – that for me and I'm kind of generally well accepting to the fact that I'll probably be on some form of antidepressant for the rest of my life but I also treat my mental health now like um, eating well or going to the gym or taking time for myself it's something that I know I have to do and work at every day to keep improving and so I stay linked in with a psychiatrist and I've done a lot of um, I did you know dbt in group therapy and now that i'm kind of completely at the stage where i can handle on my own i'm a little bit of a self-help fanatic which is not always helpful but <laughs> when there's good stuff it's it's good and i just keep working at it
0: yeah yeah awesome um and how do you find juggling life as a single mum uh with a gorgeous bub, uh and also this is something i need some some advice on like creating content as well quite regularly i might add um and also just juggling life as well any tips
1: Gosh, I, I have always been such a mess for the entire entirety of my life. And about three months ago, I started ADHD, ADHD medication and it sounds cool, <laughs> but it's the only thing that's helped me get my life back together. And now it's just like, I know that when I walk in the door, no matter how tired I am, I'm like, I got to put dinner on the table. And if I make dinner tonight and for tomorrow night, I don't have to cook it for tomorrow night. It's <laughs> that, that planning, I guess, that really helps. In terms of managing it all, I guess sometimes I just might like, pull your socks up and just do it, and I'm really harsh on myself, which is not good. But yeah, you've just you've got to find the time, and it's so hard when you're a parent. It's so 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 hard to manage it all, and I think probably as we're doing right now, it's it's a lot of late nights, yeah, um, where you're up <laughs> late after the kids go to sleep because it's the only time. Because it's, it's the, the only time.
0: time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even though you're exhausted, and want to go to bed at 8:30, <laughs> which is me most. Bad. Yep, I get that. So what was it like going through the experience again when you filmed the episode and had to sort of share your story? How did that feel for you?
1: I didn't think I was going to cry at all. I was like, I'm not going to cry. I'm okay. I'm so medicated. It's completely fine. I won't cry. And then as they started asking these really, like these questions are brutal, <laughs> like, very brutal. If, if anybody's seen the show, like these questions are harsh and they're sent in from strangers and I, you know, looking at them, I'm like, oh my God. And then I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay. This isn't too bad. Like I'm talking about it all and I'm having a laugh because I use, you know, humour to basically deal with these experiences a lot. And I was completely okay. And I was like, this is fine. We've got about two thirds of the way through and the, the the gentleman that uh, that started the show—it's their conception. They actually do the interviews. And two thirds of the way through, he asked me about my mother,
0: and <laughs> I just went <laughs> and
1: burst out crying and had like a full breakdown talking about it. Uh, so if you see me crying in the show, it's that—that's why he asked about my mom. <laughs> it, it. it was good. It was it was emotional, but it was um it was very. Uh, therapeutic in a way to it was kind of the only time I'd in that depth spoken about just how severe things were and I walked out of it going I don't know how many people are going to see this but I'm assuming it's going to be a few I hope it helps and I think it will
0: Yeah, and I think the series has only become more popular with each season. I feel like it's brought a lot of issues into the sort of discourse a little bit more or prompted a little bit more of it, so I really hope it does. There's so much stigma around mental illness in general, but then when it's around a mother and a child, there are so many messages that parents get and um, that society sort of pushes on you. It's really hard to talk about. I really hope lots of people see it. And if you're listening, make sure you're watching it and the link will be in the episode notes or catch it on the 1st of June. Yes, exciting. (laughs) So on that note, thank you so much, Clary, for sharing your experience because it's something i think everyone should be more aware of and it's it's a very vulnerable position to be in and in, in sharing that story so thank you so much um we were looking at some movies and tv shows that convey postpartum mental illness i'd already done tully so we couldn't do that one we had a few recommendations from your mother's group uh and one i thought was good to focus on which we'll both pretty happy with, was Human Resources. And it's not sort of the first thing that popped into my head, but it's got quite a storyline about uh, postnatal depression in it. So what what Human Resources is, is the spin-off to Big Mouth, which is a Netflix TV series that we definitely will cover at some stage, but there is so much to cover. And it's focusing on the hormone and emotion monsters that are in Big Mouth. There was a, a review that said it's like Inside Out on steroids, which is a pretty apt description, I think.
1: It is,
0: yep. So if you haven't seen Human Resources or Big Mouth, every person has hormone and emotion monsters, kind of like like Inside Out. like the, They sort of um, generate emotions and move you through puberty, etc. So the premise is the emotion monster's life at the office in where they work. So it's kind of got office humor as well and the main character is emmy the love bug and she's quite new at her job and she's working with a new mum, Becca, who goes through birth, postpartum, depression, and juggling it all while going back to work. I really enjoyed watching it, I have to say.
1: Yeah, I I actually really, really loved it. I adore Ali Wong so much. She was her, amazing. her comedy was something that got me through my pregnancy. I watched a lot of it um, after having my son as well. I thought it was brilliant. It, it's actually quite a good show. I liked Big Mouth, but I liked Human Resources way more, to be honest.
0: I think I did too. I don't know what it what it is but I think I think I love the relationships between the the characters a little bit more than in the show Mm -hmm. yeah but I'll just go through the lived experience of some of the creators and people in the show Kelly Galuska is one of the co-creators and she was talking about how in Big Mouth they had a woman giving birth in the first episode and she wrote that after giving birth to her first child six months before that. Um, so there's very much, just throughout the entire show of Big Mouth and Human Resources, very much putting their lived experiences on the page and, and creating it within the show. I didn't sort of talk too much through the other co-creators who are Andrew Goldberg and uh, Nick Kroll and that's because they're men and they haven't had babies. <laughs> in this... In this uh context. I'm not really interested, but clearly Big Mouth is very much inspired by their experiences as prepubescent boys. And then as you mentioned before, Becca was voiced by Ali Wong. A lot of her career is about her openness about postpartum troubles. And then Maria Bamford. Have you watched any of her stuff, Clary? Um, Lady Dynamites, her show?
1: No, I haven't. I'm going to now though. Yeah,
0: you should. It's so good. It's so quirky. Like in a good way. And she plays Tito the Anxiety Mosquito and Kitty Beaumont Boucher And it also just shows how good her voice acting is, because they sound completely different. <laughs> And, yeah, so she's got bipolar disorder and Lady Dynamite is all about her experience with bipolar. Um, and, yeah, it's just so brilliant. And her stand-up's really good too. Mike Berbilia, Bur- I don't know how to say his name, Berbilia, <laughs> who plays Barry, Becker's husband, has a, in real life has a sleepwalking disorder, um, which from what he's sort of described seems to have definitely impacted his mental health even if he's not um, being, being diagnosed with clinical depression. And I also just want to say that there was a trans actor who plays the trans character Natalie. So that's pretty good compared to a lot of shows these days. It's a pretty diverse cast. It is, absolutely. I think it's fantastic to just see a
1: cast that is so diverse in mainstream media because,
0: yeah, there's There's not not. many. And it, and also I guess that also the fact that when they had criticism because Missy's character, who was black in the show, was played by Jenny Slate, who is not black, they got criticism for that. And then they changed the actor to Ao Edebiri, who is black. So they're even willing to sort of grow as well and um, shift things if they're not hitting the mark with that representation. So I th- I think they're pretty good. Absolutely. What did we think of the accuracy of the depiction of? Uh, postnatal depression and just motherhood life in general there was definitely two episodes that sort of really focus on it a lot which was episode three and five what did you think clary i think there's time where it hits the
1: nail on the head and it's like oh that is so just genuine and real and then i think there's times where it becomes very clear to me that two of the lead showrunners are men who have never had children (laughs) because you just You look at it and you go, you were so close to getting it right, but you just missed the mark. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. Like, it's an overall good show, but they definitely could have done a lot more in the portrayal that I think if they, if the main kind of writers and, you know, showrunners had had that lived experience, that they would have then been able to do it.
0: Yeah, you could sort of tell there was lived experience of motherhood and parenting and how hard it is to breastfeed and how, how little sleep you get and how you, you can't really pee properly for, for a good chunk of time. You could tell there was less experience of quite significant postpartum mental illness. Like it's clear that Becca is going through depression and anxiety, but it's definitely not the level that is actually quite more common than what we're seeing in the show, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, they definitely took a
0: baby blues approach to it in which mm-hmm.
1: they're going, you know, mum's upset, that's normal after having a baby. And they, they get a little bit deeper at times, but they don't go into that depth that I guess a lot of perinatal mental health people experience, not to the severity of, say, somebody like me. There's a middle ground there, but I think it, it drifts closer to that baby blues more than it does to postpartum depression at times
0: yeah definitely and i think the the sort of outcomes or the um so you know the the treatment that becca gets she doesn't really get any treatment to be honest yep. um even with breastfeeding like going through where she was at in the show like no one mentioned formula and yep. i would have loved someone to be like just go with formula if you're having that much trouble it's, it's yep. not a big deal you can, you're gonna be all right <laughs> yeah your baby will be fine and you will be able to sleep better yeah so you know that would have been nice to smash some of those stigmas and things like she she doesn't she doesn't go to therapy she doesn't get any medication she really just has someone to sort of be with her which is her husband throughout the to ride the ocean and i really liked that sort of um vision of them riding the wave together but sometimes you need a little bit more than that oftentimes yeah
1: Yeah, I think it's just that they're kind of like, just change your attitude and, you know, try a little bit harder and that's you solved. And if it's really something like postpartum depression, in a lot of times that needs proper psychiatric treatment with either psychology or medication. Because it's not something that's going to resolve unless you wait until that 12-month postpartum and you know, then it eventually goes away. But it's not just something that you can change your mind and feel better about.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess it's it's kind of hard for me to take the sort of meta aspect out of it because we're watching love bugs talk to Becca, which obviously isn't what happens in real life. <laughs> Sometimes when we're analysing a show, it's like, oh, this is silly if I analyse it too deeply. But it's not as easy as like, remembering that you used to party i i I guess that was um you know helpful in that you know you're still this person but it's it's not as easy as just sort of thinking those things through
1: yeah i think reconciling who you were before motherhood with who you were during pregnancy and who you are as a mother and then outside of motherhood reconciling all those people together it's definitely a big part of getting through perinatal mental health but just doing that alone is not going to solve the problem
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. I do really like the uh, clashing of the baby's knee demon versus her knee demon. Like that was a really good uh, sort of depiction of what it's like.
1: <laughs> that was very much uh, hitting the head on the nail. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I guess the other thing that it really depicts, which is kind of not common, is that difficulty bonding. Um, and like as we both sort of, spoke about before um like i didn't really have those strong love feelings um when casper was born i just felt dread for a, the first day of his life um so it's not something people talk about very often but they I think do it was show brilliant. that yeah i
1: think it was brilliant that they outrightly she came out and said i don't love the baby i think pretty much in those words mm. and to say that i was like oh my gosh i felt so validated so many mothers that are going through these things just do not love their children when they're first born. And it is something that slowly happens over time. And generally, that slow development of love happens with that, I guess, slow recovery from perinatal mental health issues. So for them to turn around and say, she doesn't she doesn't love her baby, it was like, that's, that's amazing because that's actually a completely normal and totally valid thing to happen. Not every mm. woman loves her child the second she looks at it.
0: Yeah, and I think that was a big moment um, in this show of recognising that's a thing that happens. And and I think um, the love bug's kind of reaction to that, like, what? How can you not love? Like, that's kind of what people's reactions can be. So even what like working through that response was good, I thought. Anything else that you want to talk about in terms of accuracy that we haven't touched on?
1: I think it,
0: yeah... <laughs> Besides
1: the fact that Barry doesn't actually get her help, he just gets her Taco Bell and gives her a cuddle. <laughs> that, you know, and that's about it. That's, I guess, yeah, if there'd been a bit more depth there, it would have been a little bit better. But I think overall it's, it's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I think with often the shows like this, it sort of goes a step towards where other shows haven't gone but it never quite goes all the way, and it's like, oh, we, we're going to make something this realistic and smash this amount of stigma, but we're not going to smash too much because that would be, you know, not – we couldn't make as many jokes about that or something like that.
1: I think particularly as well looking for shows that actually – and movies that actually touch on this topic, the bar is so low that anything <laughs> that even slightly oversteps that bar is doing amazing.
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah, because I think often – particularly those old, sort of old movies that go through like tr- trauma of, you know, a, b- a baby that grows up into an adult. Often the the parent is sort of demonised or villainized or sort of the monster in a show rather than someone who needs help. Um, so in this instance, it was very much the opposite of that, which is good.
1: Yeah, it definitely positions her as the kind of central figure to the issue at hand instead of it being the baby that's the central figure and yeah. I think that's really good because when a mother's going through perinatal mental health issues she should be the focus not not the kid to an yeah. extent
0: yeah and it's, it's it was very validating to see we've all been on the toilet <laughs> with our nipples chafed <laughs> swish, <laughs> wa- washing our vagina half falling asleep going yep. how did I get here <laughs>
1: it's very real
0: yeah it was very relatable so were there any stereotypes that were sort of reinforced in the show or subverted and i guess we've kind of already talked about that stereotype of you love your baby no matter what that was kind of subverted
1: yeah i think it definitely reinforces the idea that mental health issues in general and just change your attitude and have a different perspective and you'll get better. And that was, it's an oversimplification and yeah, I just think yeah. it would have been so incredibly beneficial to have subverted that oversimplification and shown Becca getting psychiatric medication or treatment and, you know, needing that to go and get better. I think that would have been a really, really big kind
0: of step forward
1: um, in terms of raising that bar.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess the other thing
1: for me was that you see that she's unravelling when she's giving birth to this baby. Mm, and I yep. think a lot of people would look at that and go, well, she's giving birth, she's pushing watermelon out of her vagina, like that's a normal reaction, you know. Mm. But there's just that that kind of something there that sets up for then that journey over the next few episodes. And I just wish that they'd maybe explored that a little bit more to highlight the fact that parenting natal mental health happens during pregnancy as well
0: yeah yeah
1: you know instead of just reinforcing that all the bad stuff happens after the baby's born I think that would have been really good
0: yeah for sure and that's something that doesn't really get talked about at all and even in Tully too she wasn't feeling particularly great before the baby came as well in fact she wasn't really looking forward to it at all (laughs) um and yeah just that sort of showing those early signs that and it's it's not about necessarily now you've got to be a mum oh it's depressing having to be a mum it's 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 all of these things sort of combined what did you think about the fact that she like went back to work pretty quickly and given this is like depicted in America where you don't get as much um (laughs) (laughs) yeah where women really don't matter (laughs)
1: Oh, look, I, I'm studying to be a lawyer. So the fact that she was a lawyer wanting to go back to work and having her case files during labor, I was like, yes, that's me. <laughs> Personally, I didn't go back to work. I've only gone back now that my son's a year and a half old. But I think if my journey had been different, I absolutely would have been like, yep, baby, baby's off the boob. On you go. Yeah, I'm back yeah. to work. You deal with it. And love the fact that it's a stay-at-home dad. Like that's
0: that's amazing. Yeah, that is definitely a, a stereotype that we didn't see, where dad goes to work and mum's a stay-at-home mum, or they both work. Um, yeah, it was really nice to see that depicted. And, that, like, that there was no argument about that. There was no, like, he didn't want to be a stay-at-home dad or he was pushing her to stay, not go back to work or anything like that. It was just, like, this is what's happening, which was nice.
1: And he's happy with that decision. Yeah. He's like, yeah, this yep. is awesome. And how, I mean, God, how many dads do you know in real life who are actually like that, let alone TV, who are yeah. like, yep, I'm so happy to be at home with my kids. It was just, that was refreshing at least.
0: Yeah. And he didn't seem to really have any problems with getting dinner ready, et cetera, which was really nice to see.
1: Makes her a nice dinner. He's got the baby, the baby's bathed, he's in bed, he's got dinner on the table. What a dream man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> she, she doesn't have a very good reaction to that, but I can also understand <laughs> the reaction of being like, I yeah. want to see my baby after my day at work. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't love that he, like, he doesn't have an ambition monster. Um, and now that I'm thinking about it too, like she has the ambition monster, I, I'm assuming, you know, because she's a lawyer and she also has those career ambitions. And he doesn't have an ambition monster. And I feel like that's kind of a bit of a a tired trope of if you're a stay-at-home dad, you don't have ambition or, or you know, maybe it's more around his personality because clearly – He's, he's not very much liked by the, the hormone monsters and emotion monsters. But I didn't love that that was – he doesn't have – like you can still have ambition yeah. if you're a dad.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It kind of just – that part does almost in a way be like, well, you're happy being a stay-at-home dad, but you're only happy because you've got nothing else that you want to do maybe. That yeah. was kind of the messaging there.
0: Yeah, I could be overthinking it a bit, but that's what I'm here to do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do I do love the fact that she struggles to bond with that baby and says, I don't love
0: my baby. I
1: think that just that was such a big thing that you just never see. Um, I don't think you'd ever hear a mother, I've never heard a mother say it on television or a movie where she just outrightly says, I do not love my baby, and that yeah. I was just clapping internally, going big wits that's that's I'm very much on board with that so I think that's that was the one thing that stood out to me as being a really fantastic thing to include
0: yeah definitely I also like that you see her go through feelings of not wanting to be with Barry because of what she's going through and don't tell my husband this but I've also had those feelings (laughs) um post-birth where you, you know, there's so much going on. You don't want anyone to touch you um, because <laughs> you're being touched constantly by a baby. Um, and those feelings where you, you just think, oh, I guess I don't want to be with this person anymore. But it's not it's not necessarily that that's actually going on. It's the feelings, the overwhelmingness, the anxiety, the depression um, that's making you feel that way. Sometimes that is indeed the, the case, but um, yeah, in the case of Becca and In a lot of mum's cases, that's how that can present as well is not feeling that connection with your partner anymore, being irritated with everything they do uh, because you're just at your limit.
1: Yeah, I think it's those type of feelings. uh, I know at least I've spoken about them with other um, women who've just had babies, you know, not wanting to be touched, not, you know, being happy with your husband. But I don't, again, that's another one where I don't think I've ever seen it really Mm -hmm. um, talked about in mainstream media to such an extent and that was a good thing as well to kind of highlight those just the ick, the ick factor. The ick. Yeah, that's it. The ick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's not so black and white that okay, I've got the ick, we we divorce now and and or we'll just have an unhappy marriage. Like clearly they still have a bond there, but they have to work on it. And that's very accurate. Um if you're in a relationship and you've got a new new baby it's you still love each other but it's just a different life and yeah it's, it's not really the same but it, that's okay <laughs> <laughs> so if we look at helpful or harmful messages in the show what helpful messages in the show do you think there are clary
1: i like that they obviously show you know postpartum depression but that they show that there's an end to it that was you know it's not just this horrible thing that never goes away that there really isn't a light at the end of the tunnel because I know so many women when going through those things don't feel that way I really do love the fact that it's basically Emmy the love bug's fault that she doesn't love the baby and this idea that these demons are controlling or not controlling but because there's that you know level of free will to it but mm. um manipulating I guess our, yeah, our feelings yeah. and our, our actions because sometimes I know at least for me it was like there is a demon inside of me controlling me and making me feel this way, making me incapable of doing all these things. And it's not a demon, it's mental health. It's, mm. it, it feels sometimes like you've got no control over it whatsoever, that there is somebody else pulling the strings and you're just having an out-of-body experience watching it, or at least it did for me. And I think, I guess the that's more to do with the whole plot of the show, mm.
0: but I liked it. Yeah, I think I think sometimes it gets a bit meta for me <laughs> because <laughs> the demons or the monsters actively do things and talk to the humans in the show. Sometimes it gets a little bit too meta, I think, because, for example, Barry's depression cat sparks, like, love in Becca's love bug. So I'm like, is Becca attracted? And this was in a Reddit thread as well. It wasn't just on, my, on the top of my head. Um, is it because Becca is attracted to Barry's depression or is it you know what what is that and then I'm like oh is that relating depression to being very introspective um and that being attractive but when it's depression and it's actually impacting your functional um well-being could that be a little bit messed up um and then I'm like I think I'm just overthinking it there and that was just for plot (laughs) because (laughs) yeah (laughs) that could be what it's saying but I highly doubt it (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, I definitely I think there's points where, particularly with this show in particular, because it can get quite nuanced in a way that it gets to a point where you're like, I think I'm the one who's overthinking this. I don't <laughs> think they, they meant to write it like this at
0: all. No. Um, but luckily Reddit also overthinks it. Like we, well, that's what Reddit's for, isn't it? <laughs> Apart from other things. Um, and one of the commenters suggested that Becca and Barry have a codependent relationship, uh, and that's where the the love bug attraction comes in which also could be the case but i don't think in the show they were seen as codependent i think they just had a very healthy relationship so i think I, I, yeah to that to say, it was it.
1: quite a healthy relationship not codependent at all no.
0: yeah yeah nah i think we got we went too deep there um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in that same way too um, I kind of didn't love how Emmy the love bug hates Becca like she says she's a bitch and she's a real see you next Tuesday until she kind of finds out what she was like beforehand so I just just thought it was a very non-compassionate way f- to look at a new mum but maybe that was the intent
1: yeah I think if we're if we're assuming that the writers are much more complex than we think they are if you blow out that metaphor and have this love bug which i guess is an expression of self-love thinking mm. that her client herself her you know the other side of her isn't is a bitch and a terrible person and you know really doesn't like her i think those feelings are probably very consistent with what a lot of women feel you know, mm-hmm. when they're pregnant because of all the changes that happen to your body and then after oh, you have a baby true. because your life just kind of falls apart in a lot of ways after you have a kid, that if we're assuming that they are that switched on to write that on, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing because it can be reflective of those feelings. If they're not that switched on then,
0: I think it's shit and they shouldn't have included it. And <laughs> But I think that's a really good point. It's kind of that... Um, you don't really love yourself very much and you you have all this self-doubt and shame as well and that's one thing i love is the shame shame monster or shame wizard sorry he's shame one of my wizard, favorite yep. <laughs> big mouth characters um and his arc is quite interesting in this show <laughs> um, and that's i think that is one part of the show where i'll just like ah oh, yes i know that feeling so well the shame it's in a way it kind of makes sense of the love bug not liking becca because you don't really like yourself
1: yeah I think just, it just—it completely intends on whether or not that was intentional by the writers, and if it wasn't intentional, then it's like that's that's no, that's not nice. And if it no. but if it was, it's like okay, that's that's quite a good deep thing that makes you think. But yeah, I guess as in all creations of I guess television and movies, that intent, particularly when it's two male <laughs> two male showrunners, means everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And they did have two female um, co-creators as well with this show of and course. I think Big Mouth. But it's very clear that the males are sort of the, the central uh, creators. Given There's a that- lot
1: of um, masculine
0: energy and humour in the show huge, sometimes. Huge, huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think one last thing is I think it was a really helpful way to show how you can be supportive to a partner who's going through depression. In the way that you know barry didn't try and force her to be happy or give her try and fix the situation he just you know, gave her comfort and said you know i'm here for you until you write this out and i you know from my experience of depression and, and um, anxiety with a partner who also has those things i think that's definitely um, a good message and definitely the most helpful thing to do. What did you think about that? Was Did that go far enough? It's it's a good start. It's a mm. good start.
1: I think it, his behaviour and how he responds to the situation is good for the level of depth they give the postpartum depression experience by Becca. I yeah. think if they took it any further, which they didn't, then it becomes that point where it's like, well, maybe that's not the best messaging. Maybe this idea of just being supportive isn't going to be enough because yeah. there are a lot of, a, a lot of families where, you know, just being supportive and it's just the baby blues and you will get over it and I'm here to help you through it has resulted in mothers having full blown psychiatric episodes, uh, psych- mm. psychotic episodes, sorry, resulting in their and their children's death. And I, I guess it's one of those things where maybe if the show had been a bit more deep with what was going on with her, it would have been good to see Barry or anybody else in her life who cares about her going, Hey, you look like you're really struggling. Can we organize some additional support for you in mm-hmm. the form of somebody who is a qualified professional or a doctor giving her medication or something like that? I think just showing that would have just taken it that next step step that shows that getting help for these types of things is completely
0: and utterly normal yeah absolutely agree there's not a lot of promotion of mental health support in the show in general in this one even though like there's also the grief monster as well the jumper i did like him (laughs) yeah yeah he was great but then again grief is a very normal response to you know a, a loss or a, or a death of someone but it's not even floated in, in a lot of those scenarios that support is an option in terms of counseling or medication etc so it's very much in line with the show that that's as far as that message went i guess
1: it definitely
0: is i guess
1: consistent with the depth of the overarching of that overarching storyline because it's not very deep and complex and nuanced because that bar is so low um yeah but I think it's it's not a it's not a bad it's just a if you'd taken her experience a little bit further it would have been nice to see his reaction a little bit further at least for me that's just that's just my thinking (laughs) I agree
0: definitely any any sort of harmful messages that we might have got from the show yeah besides I guess not
1: you know maybe getting somebody
0: to seek professional
1: support when they needed to I think it is. It is quite quite good overall. I was. I did enjoy it. I did think it was relatively decent in terms of you know television and film depicting um, perinatal mental health issues. I thought it was. I thought it was good. I'd give it a yeah. few stars. It was good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything really negative or harmful. I think. Yeah, it goes half the way, but not all the way. So for that reason, I don't think it's harmful really at all. No. Yeah. It, it definitely doesn't hurt. It just could have uh, been, been a little, little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's this quote from oh, from the article that says that it's inside out on steroids, which I thought was a good sort of um, summary. And it, it's saying, while a depression kitty might not per- perfectly encapsulate every viewer's experience, Big Mouth did something extremely powerful when it identified disordered thinking as characters separate from the self drawing a distinction between the person and the mental illnesses. These monsters are not a part of you, but parasites that grow stronger as you grow weaker. Human resources with its updated focus on these creatures is poised to expand upon the powerful premise. And yeah, I, I, I like that way of using the characters, um, you know, and, and I think it's an important way to externalize those um, symptoms of mental illness when they occur Knowing that it's not me, it's the depression. It's not a true thought; it's an anxious thought, and things like that. Um, and in that way, if I was in working in schools, which I which I was. Um, doing until recently i really wish i could have used this show with the, the kids, kids that I, I work with to be like oh, i imagine that you know your depression is the depression key or your urges are the hormone monster but it's so r-rated it wouldn't work oh yeah it, it, they're not like that in schools <laughs> <Not right. laughs> do, do you think that's a good way of looking at things I, I
1: definitely yeah i like it i like this idea that it's not it's not you you're not You know your failure to love your baby. You're not your depression. You're. It's that taking. Because I think we, when we're going through these things, we put so much blame and place so much responsibility on ourselves. That taking that weight kind of off off your own shoulders and going here, it's this love bug, or here it's this, the the addiction angel, or Mm. you know, or it's hormone demon, and it's their fault. I think taking that step back is something that is in a lot of ways beneficial
0: yeah and i think not everyone might agree with that um particularly when the sort of promotion of mental illness which is happening a little bit more these days and and getting rid of that stigma is sometimes acknowledging you know i am depressed this is who i am and if you can't deal with it then that's, that's on you, not me. Um, and I can totally understand that perspective as well. But in terms of sort of dealing with the day-to-day thoughts and feelings and experiences that you're having, I think um, it can be a really good way to manage that. That's kind of so, sort of what happens in things like CBT and DBT and even acceptance and commitment therapy as well as externalising, separating yourself from what's going on in your head really. Yeah,
1: I think it, I think it walks that fine line between um, not – extensively blaming and hating yourself for something that in a lot of ways is happening to you instead of by you. And then also not using it as an excuse to be an
0: absolute tosspot. <laughs> yes. Very good point. Um, any, uh, any last things you want to mention about human resources?
1: I liked it. I think I've got to go back and watch big mouth more in depth now. I've seen a little bit of it and it was Okay. I think I I think I liked a bit a bit of the feminine touch to mm. Becca's journey.
0: Yes, uh, that was I didn't was good. really
1: pick up as much in horny prepubescent boys in Big Mouth.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's one thing that puts a lot of people off Big Mouth, including myself, is the horny prepu- prepubescent boys are sometimes a little bit like, all right, let's get yeah, to the girls. girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So if we were going to rate each of our criteria – I guess lived experience, I think we were pretty happy with who they used apart from the two male um, showrunners, which you could clearly tell didn't really know that much about Uh, pregnancy.
1: Lived experience, definitely. Um, I'm on board with it. It's diverse. They've got people with actual genuine experiences that have gone through this sort of stuff, not just as writers but as the voice actors as well. I think that's, that's that's a big win.
0: Yeah, I think you kinda of get the sense that they sort of shape it as well in the way that they bring the characters out. Yeah, I'm happy with the point for that. Accuracy in terms of perinatal depression and just motherhood in general. What it do you think?
1: It hits the mark in some places and then it falls short in other. And I'm like, it, it gets so close and it's so right there sometimes and then sometimes it's just not. Yeah. It, it's a mixed bag for me.
0: Should we give it half a point? Um, I'm down with half. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, stereotypes, does it subvert them more than perpetuate them? I think it subverts them more, but what, what do more? you think?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it does subvert. I think there's times when it perpetuates them, but I think overall it's more beneficial than negative.
0: Yeah, and I guess helpful or harmful, I think we both agreed it was definitely helpful. Helpful. Yeah. yeah, well done, Human Resources. For a spin-off cartoon, <laughs> that's a pretty good I was Not expecting much, but it, it did impress me. And I guess part of picking this one was there's like other ones like Working Moms, which has like five seasons and twenty episodes, it's and done. I was oh, like, God, that was not going to happen. Oh, we're <laughs> not going to able to do that. Um, so it's nice. 10 20 something minute episodes so it's very digestible at the same time
1: definitely is and it was the most recommended by everyone in my perinatal Mm. mental health group everyone was like do human resources do it it's great so it's perinatal mental health approved as well i guess yeah there (laughs) you go
0: big tick (laughs) big tick Well, thank you so much, Clary, for being on the podcast. Um, Thank you. Obviously, everyone has to tune in to ABC on the 1st of June. If not, look it up on iview. You can't ask that. Anything else you want to plug or um, mention to our listeners that they should follow or like? yes just my
1: biggest thing is and I actually ended my you can't ask that interview with this was basically just if you are going through any perinatal mental health issues at all just please for the love of god reach out and get support and I know it sounds like something that you know everybody kind of says it, and I know you'll include all your beautiful resources in the the notes as you always do but it's just it I don't know it just the sooner you get help the sooner you. Can get on that journey towards healing, and the sooner that you can then in, enjoy those absolutely beautiful moments with your baby, that I think we all take for granted um, mm, a little mm. bit when they're little and don't really realise how much we appreciated those those seconds um, of cuteness and enjoyment until much later.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well done both our babies for not waking up during <laughs> this oh, I know.
1: I'm amazed. I'm amazed. <laughs> I was like, for sure he's going to start squawking and I hear nothing.
0: (laughs) Same. Oh, and just on that note as well, is there any particular uh, resources or websites or charities you would recommend mums go to or future parents? I
1: guess the two most absolute amazing charities who I would implore everyone if they ever want to donate to anything like this they're the two to go to because they genuinely do make a difference and it's not just charity for the sake of charity they're like boots on the ground helping mothers in need Uh, Gidget Foundation which is just absolutely incredible they're a team of clinical psychologists who specialize in perinatal mental health and provide completely bulk build uh, uh counseling whilst pregnant and up to 12 months and just you know, therapy can be so inaccessible and that is just mm-hmm. such a massive thing. And I believe they solely are able to provide that service because of donations and government funding. Yeah. And is that other in Queensland, Queensland or is that state- statewide? Australia wide. Australia wide. Yep. I I've think they started one. down in Melbourne or Sydney. And I seriously recommend them to everyone. Anytime I meet somebody who's pregnant or just had a baby, I'm just like, hey, if you ever need any support, there's this place, it's called Gidget Foundation. They do telehealth and they also have um, in-person locations and they're just amazing, like actually incredible. So they're like my my big ones. I'll plug, they supported me through those darkest days. And then Panda, Mm -hmm. which is I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but they're the other really big charity that do genuinely Perry help. Perry
0: and Neonatal Depression Association? I don't know. Yeah. I, should, I right should look up. it up.
1: <laughs> it's something like that. And they're, they're, they're a really big one as well that do a lot of charity work and a lot of fundraising. And they are advocating for more mother-baby units in – hospitals statewide and just genuinely making a difference. I know they had a big role to play with the new MBU down in New South Wales. So both both Gidget and them did. So they're both just amazing charities.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I've definitely used Panda for resources many, many times. And I'll make sure I include those links in the episode as well as your Instagram handle, if that's OK. Oh, yeah,
1: you can plug <laughs> me if anyone wants to hear my unhinged ramblings about various <laughs> socio-political issues or my rants about how stupid influence can
0: They're be. They're always very good rants One or the other. very agreeable. <laughs> <laughs> And it was very fun uh, watching election night uh, on TikTok. So thanks for thanks for live streaming. That was good. Thanks for listening to Psycho Cinematic. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and the Facebook group and join our Patreon where for the month of June and July all subscriptions go to the Gidget Foundation. Have a good one. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please visit the episode notes on your podcast app.